Some of you may know if you've been around for the last couple of weeks that uh, we are doing a series on participation. Uh, this is week three, and there are still three more weeks after this. And we're primarily going to be working out of 1 Corinthians for the first three weeks and then Romans uh, for the second three weeks. But there is this passage in Jeremiah uh, that's in the lectionary. Normally we follow the lectionary, but for this six-week series, we're sort of taking a break that I thought... Um, really spoke to some of what we'll be talking about today. So in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, uh, the situation looks bleak. Jeremiah has been imprisoned because he has chosen to speak truth to power, and the power has pushed back. The monarchy does not like being challenged. Uh, the people that are privileged and who benefit from the status quo do not like someone saying, you cannot take God for granted. You cannot say just because you are God's beloved that somehow you are exempt from being people who pursue truth, who pursue justice, who are working towards peace, who have a heart for those who are marginalized and seek to lift them up and out and to be a part of God's dream for the world. There was a message that got Jeremiah in trouble. And so while Babylon, this empire that is about to show the kingdom of Judah what real empire actually looks like, to show them, oh, you thought you could empire, we can out-empire you any day of the week, and they are about to invade Jerusalem. Jeremiah does something that on the surface could look a little foolish. He decides to purchase some land, knowing that likely within a few weeks or months at best, all of the land that has been his home will belong to other people. He does this not because he thinks he is being foolish, but as his way of saying, I believe we as a community are gonna make it through even this bleak time. That though empires of indifference may seem to be winning the day right now, I believe ultimately God is the one who is working through those people with open hearts to come together, to be mutually together for all that God is doing in the world. And we will see a new day. There will be a day when hope does not seem foolish. There will be a day, indeed, Jeremiah says, where we will plant vineyards again. That this land is not going to go to waste, that it will not belong to other people always, that there will be a new day. He purchases this land in hope, in hope of inspiring something for the common good, not likely in his lifetime, but having a vision beyond his own well-being into future generations. And as he reflects on what he has done, even in the middle of these challenging times, he says this verse at 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. In times where everything Jeremiah had and his people had was about to be lost, he's able to have the creative vision 
to imagine that even this incredibly difficult season is not going to last always. I appreciated earlier this week that uh, Ben and Kimberly Culbertson, or coach and Kimberly, uh, shared with us about the Enneagram. And when they started uh, that, they had the people that showed up for the workshop put on a post-it note where their space in this personality tool uh, system is, and then we put it up on a diagram. You can kind of see that, I hope, yeah, on the far uh, right side there, so that we could see not just the Enneagram as something that's about you and, oh, isn't it cool that I have all these neat, quirky idiosyncrasies, and that's what makes me me, and you just have to deal with that, and that's why you should be glad that you're married to me, and those kind of things. <laughs> but instead, that we could see collectively where the gifts, the strengths, the challenges, perhaps even some of the collective blind spots of at least the part of Vox community that was gathered this past Wednesday were. It was an invitation to take something that could be used solely individualistically and instead begin to imagine how it might be used for the common good. St. Teresa of Lisieux, uh, when also known as the Little Flower, just one of four women who has been named a doctor by the Catholic Church, uh, has this wisdom to share. Jesus deigned to teach me this mystery. He set before me the book of nature. I understood how all the flowers he has created are beautiful, how the splendor of the rose and the whiteness of the lily do not take away the perfume of the little violet or the delightful simplicity of the daisy. I understood that if all flowers wanted to be roses, nature would lose her springtime beauty and the fields would no longer be decked out with little wild flowers. She could understand the beauty that we might find in certain flowers, but also understood the rich gift that is the plentitude of all the types of wild and natural vegetation, that everything has its place and has its gift in the world. And so it is with our community. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it starts off now concerning spiritual gifts. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Paul is reminding the people and reminding us that we can get caught up in patterns and in ruts that leave us indifferent, that leave us silent, that leave us perhaps even satiated on the status quo, that sometimes for some of us, even our own comfort can be the thing that is getting in the way of our well wishes perhaps for a better world, but in light of responsibilities we have with family and friends and career and just trying to find a few moments of our own personal zen, sometimes it can be easy to just go along, to get along. What social, religious, economic, entertainment, or relational idols entice us to stay silent on behalf of the status quo? What are the things for you 
that perhaps when we might begin to dream of a better world, we start thinking, well, I'm willing to go so far, but if it's going to mean disruption to this area of my life or to this part of my world, or if I don't know how things might be if the world were truly turned upside down for me, and I kind of at least know that perhaps where I am now might be better than seemingly where I might end up if we were to really try to participate in something new. What are the things that leave us in silence? Paul goes on to say in verse three, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking by the spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. There's a lot of wonderment around what Paul is saying here. If you've read much of Paul, it would lead me to believe that this was not actually something that was happening because Paul is someone that can get really angry really quickly about anything. And so I imagine if there was actually people in the church of Corinth who were like getting up and they're like, okay, it's prayer of the people time. And someone got up to the microphone and said, let Jesus be cursed. I'm out. Paul's probably not the kind of person who's going to just be like, yeah, you know, that's probably not the best idea. Like you could imagine the screed that Paul would have if someone was doing that in the community of the believers. So I don't tend to believe that this was something that was actually happening, though we don't know. Maybe it was. Uh, It makes me wonder, perhaps, if Paul is saying, by the very way you're living your lives, you are living as if Jesus is still cursed. You are living as if his lifestyle, his way, is a way that if you were to follow would not make any sense, and so you have chosen to opt out. Yes, you're still here, you're gathering, you're coming forward to be a part of this community, but you're living as if you can't imagine that there could truly be any blessing in the life of Jesus. And he says, similarly, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, we know there's a lot of people who can say a lot of things and still live their lives in ways as if Jesus was not really offering us this more abundant, justice-filled life. But I do believe that Paul is suggesting if we are truly opening our lives collectively to God's invitation of spirit animating our beings, animating our community, that it will show the world In fact, the power of these destabilizing opposites. Uh, Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul starts out talking about the foolishness of the cross. As he begins this letter to the church, he's reminding them that, that Jesus does actually look foolish to people that can't imagine leaving behind the limited comfort they currently have on behalf of a collective greater good that God is dreaming and desiring for the world. He says, if really you wanted to follow this Jesus who seems to bless all the wrong people and keeps company with all the wrong people and continues to speak truth to the power, often to religious people, uh, if you're really going to want to be on side and in league with that person, it's going to be foolishness. And so when we 
confess that this Jesus is Lord, Paul has already reminded the church in Corinth that yes, he is Lord, but he is Lord that to many people of a way that is going to look foolish, to a way that is probably not going to make us an influencer uh, in the way that we might otherwise desire. Spirit-empowered speech points people to power that is found among those who are often powerless. Paul goes on to say at the end of chapter 12, now you, really like it's a more Texas, like now y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's a powerful thing. Paul grounds the identity of the church in Corinth, and I would say by extension, likely for each of us, first and foremost, not saying like, hey, you need to go off on a backpacking tour around the world and figure out your own life. Instead, Paul says, no, I already know y'all are the body of Christ. So start there. Start with that mutuality. Start with that connectivity. When you're feeling hopeless or when you're feeling despair, I want you to remember that it's not just you, it is we, it is this collective community. So start there. Draw strength from each other. Know that you are not called to do every single thing, but that you do have an essential part, as Jenna reminded us a few weeks ago. Each of us has our part to play. Paul is clear in the passages that Waylon shared with us last week that it's not all about some homogeneity, homogeneous, there we go, Uh, that is uh, trying to make each and every one of us some cog in a machine. No, there is beautiful and rich diversity in who we are. We are unique members of this collective body But we know the danger that can happen if we ground ourselves first and foremost and solely in such a self-centered perspective. In sports, there are many athletes, I've had to root for more than a few, who seem to put themselves above team and though they might get all the accolades and all the individual uh, rewards that they want, never seem to be able to get their team uh, very far towards winning a championship. And though people have some level of respect for that, we also kind of know that's really not what that's about. In music, it seems, at least in popular music, to perhaps go the other way. We start off with the Destiny's Child and then ultimately end up with Queen B. There seems to be this movement, right? The same thing with Jackson 5 and Michael Jackson. Like There seems to be more of a movement from the group to the individual. But no one can deny, or you at least can't deny to me, that there wasn't still some power in the 90s when Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston got together and they called us to believe. Right? Some of you get that, like the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. It's a powerful song. Go Spotify it later today. It'll enrich your soul. Right? These, These two divas at the top of their game were still willing to collaborate in a way that enriched the world in such power. And that's what Paul is envisioning here. If you're feeling lost, he says, find yourself first 
in your community. Find the strength that is there among one another. The hope you lack, someone else may find, or perhaps all of us feel hopeless, but there's something powerful about being together with so many people who are feeling the exact same way that allows us to move forward. And then we begin to nurture and individually discover the uniqueness that is ours and the ways that we can live that out in the world. We are invited to see ourselves through this lens of the transforming community of Christ. We are not lost nor sacrificed to this larger vision, but enlivened and awakened to our true self activated for the common good. Uh, last week, I went to go see Moonage Daydream, a film by Brett Morgan, and it's a phenomenal, at least from my perspective, uh, documentary about the life of David Bowie. And I did not know this, but one of my friends, uh, Luke Hicks, interviewed Brett Morgan, and he later that week posted the interview. And he was asking Brett Morgan about uh, the fact that in this documentary, you don't have talking heads. There doesn't seem to be the same kind of narrative. Someone's saying, oh, you know, he was kind of a cheeky lad growing up and this and that. It's just uh, video clips of concerts and of other interviews uh, that are happening uh, mixed in with music and even some space scapes and that kind of thing. And Brett Morgan said this, you can do a 1,400-page biography on Jane Goodall that fit, hits every day of her life. And that's probably a better factual document, a better format for biography. But what I've been interested in is, what is the cinematic interpretation of the subject? What can I do? How can I express them and access them using exclusively the language of cinema that can't be achieved in another medium? And if you watch this documentary, you get the sense of how Brett Morgan is pursuing that. Which leads me to ask, what is our, Vox, communal interpretation of the life of Jesus? How can Vox express Jesus the Christ and access this love using the language of the mystical body of Christ that can't be achieved in any other medium? I want to spend some time uh, fairly rapidly going through some of the ways Vox has been working out, participating and being engaged within our community. One of our standing partnerships is through Inside Books Project, a volunteer-run nonprofit sending free books and educational materials to people who are incarcerated in Texas. They're the only books to prisoners program in Texas where here in our state, over 150,000 people are currently imprisoned. And you can volunteer through them, It'd be good to go to their website, but they're literally housed in our building. Just right over here, you may have noticed all the bookshelves with books uh, on Sunday nights and Thursday nights. Another way that is just starting up for us is a standing partnership with Keep Austin Fed. They're a food salvage organization reducing hunger and helping the environment by connecting surplus food with neighbors in need. You may have noticed that uh, for many years, if you looked out over here as you're driving by airport, 
is kind of what you're seeing on, let's, let's go to the next slide, uh, to this, uh, what you see on the left here, not, not so great looking uh, area by this side of our sanctuary right here. And over the summer, you may have noticed that then a slab was laid. And if you've noticed very recently, you'd see that even now there is a fridge there. And they're all about collecting food. So one of the ways people volunteer is literally to go run and get food. It might be that there was an event that was catered somewhere and they have way too many Jason's Deli boxes left over. Uh, and so they collect that food through organizations that have already pre-registered to them. We'll bring them here because we're a very centrally located space and then have other partners to distribute that food so that the food doesn't get wasted, right? We've all been at events where we're like, what's happening to this massive amount of Jason's Deli boxes everywhere? Uh, and I hate to think of that going to waste when one in seven people in Texas are in Austin, rather, are food insecure. And so they are working to make that happen. We are so excited about partnering with them. Lena Martinez has done such a phenomenal job of helping us engage with our community and to develop and strengthen these partnerships. Another partnership is a global partnership, and we'll be hearing hopefully more about this one in October through the Ashish Center, a foundation for differently abled people based in Delhi, India. And we're hoping that they're going to be able to come and share with us an update uh, later this year about all the good that is happening through that organization. Uh, Vespra has all kinds of community engagement. If you are here today in person, you may have noticed that even around us, we are surrounded by um, some new artwork that is through one of our community engagement partners that happened uh, just this past night. If you drove by yesterday, you may have seen lots of lowriders uh, on our campus, and that would have been a really exciting thing. The vision for Vesper is an evening of prayer or rest and represents our efforts to provide space for genuine interaction, through free community programming and paid private events. Other community sponsorships we have that are us fully offering the space that we meet in are Safe Here With You Gallery, the Latina Day ATX, Thriftish Fashion Show, Mas Cultura's Latina Latinx Heritage Day uh, that just happened. Recurrent fully donating community space sponsorships are recovery meetings that happen here, Sunrise Movement ATX, which is all about climate justice and engaging young people with that young people. I've officially become old. Uh, <laughs> improv on and off stage shows, community building improv and drama therapy as well as winter yoga. There are many ways we are trying to engage our community for the common good. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29, Paul says, So are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work powerful deeds, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. It can be easy even as I go through the litany of ways that we are engaged in our community to once again feel sort of paralyzed by all of the need. And even though there are lots of ways, again, you start to think of your schedule and where would you find the time or do you have the right giftedness or you 
going to be the right demographic if you show up there? You know, I'm, if I show up, am I going to feel like I'm the old man at the Sunrise Movement ATX? Uh, there are all kinds of questions that might linger with us about our participation. And I do think Paul is suggesting to us, it is not yours to do every single thing. But when we gather together, we will have clarity about what is ours collectively to do. And if we are all willing to step up and work in ways that are sustainable for us individually and collectively, we will find that there is more than enough, that God has given more than enough giftedness in our community to be able to meet the needs that are around us. Paul speaks of this excellent way, and though it's not a wedding, I wanted to jump ahead into the next chapter just very briefly to talk about this excellent way that Paul points to. So in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Paul believes that there is this excellent way of God's love that truly is the lens of who Jesus is and how Jesus animates us that allows us collectively to find our way. So what might it look like for us to metabolize the life of Jesus the Christ, to be able to use his life and his love to guide us individually and collectively as we seek ways to participate? Two ways that are related to each other are a form of Lectio Divina. One I would suggest for you might be to find a story in the Gospels about Jesus and to reflect repeatedly on it. Read this story, allowing it to slowly sink in again and again. Open yourself to receive Jesus' companioning presence from the text to your context. Reading a story from the Gospels doesn't feel your speed this week. You might meditate silently on the love of God in Jesus, taking whatever time you have, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, to release distractions, your to-dos, and your expectations, and receive God's love in silence. I believe from this more excellent way, from this place of God's love collectively, we will begin to know among the needs around us locally and globally, what is ours as a community to do and what is ours within this community to do. Not in a way that feels overbearing or shame-filled, but in a way that feels freeing and that brings life into us. I'd like to end our time with a prayer for courage by Padre Gotuma. We break from the doings of our day and make space to notice you. You are always with us in surprising guises. Jesus of the flesh, we meet you in worker and friend, stranger and pilgrim, the needy and the needed, the questioner and the questioned. So when we meet you, may we deepen trust, deepen life, deepen justice, 
and deepen joy. And when you meet us, help us approach our activities with presence and power, with love and humility, with courage and dignity. Amen.